Hello and welcome to another edition of Banana Island Living Podcast. My name is Shade. So today I'm really thrilled to be speaking to Deyamo Shodipo. Hello, Deyamo. How are you, Shade? I'm, I'm very well. We've been chatting a lot and uh, Deyamo has been one of our favorite um, all-time listeners and always given us feedback and and he's just such an interesting person. Deyamo is a diaspora Nigerian in the U.S. And um, he was born in September 1956. He went off to St. Gregory's College in 1970. So we'll talk about your Gregorians because you guys have a real parapo, a big, a big... Yes, we do. Always a Gregorian, always a Gregorian. Yeah. When did you leave for the U.S., Deyamo? I left for U.S. in 1980 after my youth service call to do my MBA. Right. And the plan was for me to come back to Nigeria. And then what happened? What happened was that when I came back, I've been following the economic trends of Nigeria. Mm. When I came, I did my analysis. I was kind of surprised, but not too surprised. Because when I left for Nigeria, the exchange rate was maybe, you can almost get $2 for one Naira. Mm. And when I came back, it was like around um, one Naira, no, 20 Naira was kind of kind of like $1. And I realized that anytime you have your exchange rate versus the dollar, if it's like one to one or one to two, and it breaks down to more than 10, the money never comes back. I remember telling people that the Naira was not going to come back. This was in 1983. And my friends, they all thought that I was crazy because there's just no way when you, when you break to that point, it's never going to come back. And people do not realize that when it comes to foreign exchange, there are so many factors that contribute to your foreign exchange. Yeah, but um, this argument I'm always having with, I'm sorry, all you people that sort of left the country because of foreign exchange, but there is a, there's quite a lot more to a country, surely. Um, and by that time, even at 20 to 1 or whatever it was, life wasn't that bad in Nigeria, was it? No, I, I, did, I, I did not leave the country because of foreign exchange. Yeah. I just anticipated what was going to happen. What Nigerians do not realize is that after the independence, Nigeria was just kind of hanging in there. We were basically still getting what the colonial masters left us with. And it wasn't that bad. Because I remember when I was growing up, we had public libraries. We had, at least in Lagos, there was ample supply of water. There were no boreholes. And and um, the, the people in power or the decision makers, they had no vision, basically. There was no demographics. There was no planning. They just thought that things would just kind of continue to be like that. So instead of staying, I, I just get very frustrated with 
all the people who they stand back and say, oh, Nigeria is not going anywhere. But didn't you think you could contribute? Well, you guys had all the advantages. I mean, all the Gregorians are in all the top spots and you guys have a big alumni. You had the best of the country. Well, it depends on how, how you define that. Because one can sense what was, what was going to happen. Yeah. And one needs to anticipate what you are going to do. Mm. Because when I was trying to explain the basic relationship of what affects foreign exchange, and these guys are telling me that the money is going to come back, it never comes back. You're an entrepreneur in the U.S. How, how is that? How difficult or how easy it is? Well, I tell people that the most difficult thing that a black person could do in the U.S. is to run your own business. Right. Why is that? There are so many obstacles. Like what? Uh, Access to capital and and also finding the right market. I remember when Jesse Jackson was talking about access to capital, access to capital. Yes. Most people do not really understand it. Till you get involved with it. Right. I thought, what about all the SBA and government this and government that? No, it doesn't. As a minority? No, you see, it depends on how they define minority. Right. Minority is, is also defined as a woman. Right. And what happens most, what, what happens sometimes is that some of these white people, they have a corporation with their wives. Right. And they make their wife to be the majority owner of the company. Okay. So then they get access. They get to access it. to it. And if I want to run the SBA, yeah, I will run. I will, well, it's called SBA here. I will run the SBA differently, right? Because for you to get an SBA loan, it means that the bank feels that you cannot get a regular okay. loan. Okay, they have to say that you can't get a regular loan. Well, not not exactly. What they do is that the bank loans are always better than the SBA loan. Of course, yeah. In most cases, because of the collateral that they demand. Yeah. And um, you, you have to pay an SBA guarantee loan that in case you default, the bank will get paid. So, ah. and and also, if I were to run the SBA, I will have the SBA itself run by itself by not going to through the, the banks, bank. Yes. So no intermediation by the banks because there there's already a layer of, um, of prejudice and... Uh, Difficulty there. Exactly. So, how did you break through that? Oh, that's a that's a, that's a long story. <laughs> that's well, a- make it short because uh, I think for us the value is in, you know, um, how do you break through a system as an immigrant to start a business? Because you hear of all these Koreans and so on and Indians doing well. How does a Nigerian make it in that system? Well, what, what the Koreans and all those people they have their own association. Where they come, yes. like how they call it, a job, something like that in in yes. language. Okay, well, I did not want to be a business person. Right, I wanted to be. I don't want to work for myself. I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to be a portfolio manager, where you manage stocks and bonds. But but you know, I don't know if you remember this. Um, long time ago, when we used to have Ebony Magazine, you can look at page three or page five, and they will show you those African-Americans who have made it like in very, very good positions. I was thinking that I could do that too, but that's so difficult to attain 
And also, it depends on the industry. The most difficult industry to break into is the financial industry. And I was thinking that if you go to school, you study hard, you get a wonderful GPA, you are going to get a job easily. I was, I was fortunate because my dad paid for my education and all I had to do was study. And I told myself that since my dad was investing in me, I'm going to give him the best return on his investment. And I did that by getting, by doing very well in school. My, my GPA in finance was 3.9 on a, on a four scale. So I thought that by having a high GPA, I could easily get a job as a portfolio manager. What I found out was that since I did not really have the experience, they said that if you don't have experience, just put your GPA on your CV or your resume and that should help you. So what I was getting was interviews and also to come with my transcript to to check it out if this guy really got a 3.9. After the interview, I wasn't getting any calls. And I and I was t- I was trying to explain that to my dad. He could not he could not understand that. So why do you think that was? Well, because finance is a very very difficult area for black people to get into. It is still difficult. You look and you look right even as of now. You look on Wall Street. You don't have th- that many people there. That's just the way it is. Although it is getting a little bit better now. Are you talking of discrimination or racism, or it's just that it's an all boys club? Well, it's, it's, it's both. It's racism, all boys club, and um, that and that 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 just the way it is. But what has changed now is that you see, in finance you have two areas. You have um corporate finance and municipal finance. Um, in the corporate area, finance is almost hundred percent white people and very few blacks. But in the municipal finance. You may have some few blacks there, and it is because you have black mayors, you have blacks in government, and they have to deal with the black mayors too. So sometimes they, they have to do something. But America is evolving, it's changing, but it's still a difficult place. And as I said, there is no place like home. So how do you how did you break through that system to become an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur? Because you, you, you've got a few businesses, haven't you? I guess coming from Nigeria and also having a family that was in business, my father was in business, my grandfather was in business, my grandmother on my mother's side was in, she was in business. So when, you, when you're growing up, you see all those things around you, but you don't even know that you are assimilating some things from them. So by me coming here, uh, I, I it, it, everything kind of depends on confidence too, and also one has to be lucky too. And uh, you have to really believe in yourself. So what was your big break? What would you say was your big break? My my first business was was a printing company, and what happened was that um, there is this printing company that was near my school. 
I went to a school called St. Louis University. It's a Catholic school founded in 1818. And I believe after Georgetown is the second oldest university in the, in the U.S., Catholic university in the U.S. So most of the colleges in the U.S., they have like a printing company right next to them. And there was this company called King Coast that used to be right next to, to my school. So what happened was that they moved about one and a half miles away. I don't know that in kilometers because we still use miles here. So when I went there, they were closed. So I was able to find out the person that owned the building and I made an appointment to see him. So I was telling myself that this white man is going to see this black guy. He's not going to say, he's going to say no. But I did not realize also that being foreign black has his own advantages. Yes. Yeah, so when I went to see him in the office, he had a copy of Forbes magazine on his desk. So he asked me my name, what I want to do. And I told him his name is Alan Perville. So I told him, I said, I said, Alan, my letter is in that magazine that you are reading. He said, really? I told him the page. He looked on the page and I was responding to an article written by a finance professor from Columbia University in the U.S., a top school. He was talking about efficient market theory. Efficient, efficient market theory is a theory that says that the price of a stock reflects all the information about that stock. And I beg to differ because there's what is called insider information. And I, and I said that the insider information, which, which I call the big eyes, two eyes, have more value than the analysis that is around. And they published it. So I think that was in 1985 or 86. So that's how I was able to... So the guy was impressed by your... Yes, he was impressed. Then a company called Apple came and they changed the printing industry. Actually, when I was going to, um, going to do that business, I just told myself that if it doesn't work out, I just gonna do my PhD. But Apple came and they changed the industry. But how did you get the finance or the capital? Like you said, because you said access to finance was one of the biggest problems for minorities in the US starting their own business. Yeah, it's, uh, well, creative financing. I, I use my credit cards. My dad helped me out too. That's basically what happened. You bought a printing press, which, you know, the guy had not wanted to sell to you. You had a bit of capital, but what made it thrive? What did, how did it, how'd you get business? Were you, was it easy to get business because of the location of the place? Because if, if we have people listening now and they, a lot of people, are, I know a family that have just sold up in Nigeria and they're going to buy a business abroad. What, what do you think they need to do? What are the key, what is the key advice you give them? I think each situation is different because that location was very, very near this, this school. So I was able to take advantage. So location, location, location. Location, location, location. If you're, if you're in a retail business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything is location too. Everything is location okay. to an extent. So 
and 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 also at the, at that time I did not even know how to put paper into the copy machine. So I had to learn. So did you tie the the seller to training for some time or what? No, no, no. The the place was vacant. They moved. And and also wow. and also they gave Alan, the guy that leased the place to me, an incentive to find somebody who is not going to compete with them. Okay? Because they they are still paying their rent. And if if Alan could find somebody, he could collect double rent. But the guy just liked me and believed in me. And also because of the article in Forbes magazine. That really, really helped. So to one extent, you make your own luck. And two, your personality. And three, yeah, luck. Yeah, being at the right place at the, at okay. the, at the right time. So location, uh, be pushy, challenge yourself. Yes. Well, Use creative finance and charm. Yeah, and also... Have, and also I had a fallback. You had a plan B. Yeah, which is go back to school and, and get my PhD and go to the best school. You, that means you had the money to be able to do that. Well, I knew that my dad would take care of me. <laughs> yes, your dad, your lovely dad. Now, the other thing that I, I find um, interesting with um, in, in your case in particular is that, okay, you, you're a successful entrepreneur in the US, but you've also managed to get into some spaces um which traditionally you don't get minorities or foreigners getting into like you're a trustee of one of the really conservative waspish prep schools and you go in there and try and let the not so much change the curriculum but make it more woke make it more diverse diverse make it more reflective of america's true history did you get pushed back on the critical race theory and all of that? No, actually, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very good school. They, you see, the concept of critical race theory does not even make any sense. Of course not. We know that. But you see, when you have a predominantly white school, well, well, people can spook themselves. Yeah, but, but you see, what, what happened too was that because of the printing, in the U.S., when you are running a campaign, there are two big major expenses. One is TV advertising. Adverts. And, yeah. and printing. Yeah. So th- there was a guy, he saw me and he, and he told all my workers, he said, look, we don't, we don't, well, we don't have any union printing company that is owned by minority in Missouri. And he said that this, this guy you work for, He's doing okay. Discuss that with him. But for you to be a union printer, you have to pay your workers well and also give them health insurance. So I, so I did, so I told myself, I said, you know what? That would be interesting. And the Democratic Party, they are so keen on you to be a union printer for you to do any printing. So I went through the application, and I became the first black, or uh, the first black in the state of Missouri to own a printing company that is union. A union printing company. Yeah, a union printing company. So that gave you access to um, political printing. Uh, yes, that gave me access to, to all the political printing, both white and black. Well, I would say mostly white. 
because if you're a union printer, you're going to have like a logo with your name and your number on it. So they will know where that is coming from. And if they are trying to get some black votes, they, they might say that, oh, they use a black union printer. They, they don't have to say it, but most of them, they know what is, what is going on. So it gave me access to all these, poly, all these politicians. That was your second big break, and that gave you a status in the community? Is that it? Yes, it did. And also, when I opened my first print shop, the one by the school, uh, one day there was an old man, he came to the shop, and he said that, that someone told him that the shop is owned by a black person. So I asked him why. He said that when he was growing up, blacks were not even allowed to come into that area. So I turned around and I told him that I'm the owner. And he gave me this hug that I will never forget. He said, you just made my day. I never thought that I would see a black person to own a business in this area. Oh, how sweet. So that gave you a standing. And then you decided to then um, get involved in the community, isn't that it? Yes, that's what happened. Because you're in the Chamber of Commerce. You're, I mean, so this is another lesson for any immigrant. Try and get within, into the community, not just in the church. Yes. But join the Chamber of Commerce. And also do good stuff too. Right. Because... Because there, there, was, there was one day, I think I was getting an award. That was in 2002. And um, this guy came to me. He said, you might not remember me. I said, I said, why not? He said, because when I came to your place of business, I was trying to do my CV, make some copies of it. And I did not have enough money. And you told me, that's okay. And he told me that he got a job. So I do, I try to do those things. And I think I got that from my grandfather and my dad too. And also my grandmother also and my mom, but mostly from my, from my dad. Everywhere I go in the US and, uh, or even abroad. And even when I'm in, in Nigeria, you're always getting this text from Nigerians abroad. They're so involved in the politics and they always doom and gloom. Nothing positive. So what do you think of our situation at the moment? What do you think of the political parties at the moment? Hmm. You see, there. I think that the constitution that we have in Nigeria is not the kind we need. Right. We would have been better off with the parliamentarian system. There are some basic things that we have not even done. Yeah, but we are where we are. I understand what we haven't done, but this is where we are now. We know where we want to be. How do we get there? Do we really know where we want to be? I'm not sure there's a consensus. If I remember rightly, you were very pro one of the political parties. Yeah, well... Because you were very engaged with the process. And I must say, I wasn't that engaged. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't blame you. You were very engaged with the process. What, what, what party were you into? Well... And why? Actually, it was not really a party. It had to do with a guy called Kingsley Mogalu. Right. Because he's a friend... And we basically share the same vision. Right. And um, he will have been a wonderful candidate. But one of the problems we have is how we pick 
our candidates. You need to have lots of money to pick the candidates. And I think our biggest problem too is transparency. Yeah. And when it comes to selecting candidates, although we try to copy the American system. Now that's very expensive too, though. It is a, it is expensive. Hugely expensive. But at least they let the people pick the candidates. Number one, right. demographic wise, we don't even know our population. Our population is still based on extrapolation. Yeah. And if you look at the population and the number of people that vote, there's a huge difference. If we say we are 200 million, and how many people vote? About 32 million. Something is wrong somewhere. So why did you pick this? Why did you have such faith in Kingsley Mogulu? Yeah, because uh, we met on the phone last time. You met him on the phone? You never really met him? No, we never, but, but we talk all the time. I mean, we, we exchange texts and we... we are out. How, did you, how did you get introduced to him? What happened was that when he was running for the first time, I kind of um, checked him out. Right. Read some things about his CV, his right. experience, and somehow I was able to get his phone number. And I sent him a text, and he responded, and we have been talking since then. It's fascinating, isn't it? Even though... Uh, and this is not just you, a lot of Nigerians who are abroad, the energy and the passion they bring and how engaged they are with Nigerian politics, that you got you got into it to that extent. Yeah. So you still have you still have faith and hope and well in the system. No, there there is n- there is no place like home. Right. There is no place like home. And I think we Nigerians that I know of we are we are always thinking that we're going to come back home one day. Do you? We always. Do you think you? Uh now I don't think so. But before, right. but before then, I used to think so. Amongst, um, right. I I did not become a citizen of the U.S. till after fifteen years, when I was qualified to be a citizen. Everybody wants. Yeah. I mean, because. Nigeria is always going to be a part of me. And I'm not the only one that yeah. that way. Nigeria, Nigeria to us is big deal. We love that country. We are passionate about Nigeria. And some people say that why gloom and doom about Nigeria? We say that because all the time. That's, I mean, all these diasporas are always doom and glooming. No, because, <laughs> because we love the country. This happens to me constantly. Anytime I go to any store or any place in the U.S., I always ask myself, why don't we have this in Nigeria? But do we need it? Not everything can be extrapolated to the country. No, no, no I'm not. You know, it might not be, a, it might not meet our needs. No, I'm, I'm talking like something, somewhere like ShopRite. I'm talking about basic stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, we have ShopRite now. No, no, I'm saying, but how long did it take? I remember when I was growing up, we had Kingsway stores. Yeah. We had UTs. It was good at that time. We had a PZ. Yeah. You can go on Broad Street. You have stores everywhere. You have Bata. You have Leonard's and all those things. I mean... You, they were all foreign companies, yeah. Well, well they, they are foreign companies, but they have Nigerians working there, basically. They do. Yeah, um, USC was very big. But 
that's the, that's what we got from being under the British rule. I wanted to hear your assessment of the political parties at the moment. Which one? In 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 Nigeria? In Nigeria, yes, please. Yeah. The ones we have now, the major ones we have. You are putting me in a spot. I might be in trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you're in the US, no, so it's good. No, it doesn't matter because I have friends who are in the APC and PDP too. Yeah, that's the thing. Everybody, I mean, you have friends. That's the whole point of the beauty of Nigeria. You have friends in APC, PDP. We're not so polarized that we can't talk about each party. To me, I don't even see any difference between APC and PDP. They are basically the same right. because people just keep on changing political parties and all that stuff. But how do you know? Do you know that much about what's happening in the country? Do you think? Do you know enough? I, I don't. I don't know what I know enough because nobody really knows everything. But but what? Yeah. I, but what I. But you are very engaged. Uh, yes, I'm engaged. But what? But what happens is that the the Nigerian people they deserve a right mm. to have to have water. Yeah. To have roads. Yeah. To have electricity. They deserve that. Of course. Everybody does. It's a human right. It's a, it's a human right because when, when you look at it, it's as if Nigeria that, that, that everybody have their own utility company. You provide your own. No, your, your, your own government, essentially. You have your own security, your own water, your own electricity. Ex, ex, exa- exactly. So they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't really, really care. They, they have one set of rules for some people. And and it's as if some people are just above above the law in Nigeria. Okay, so what do you think of the APC? APC and PDP they are the same. Okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Here, I don't know whether you guys say that too. Um, they used to say that PDP people deceiving people, <laughs> and 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 APC they used to say all professional crooks. Okay, <laughs> so it depends on on basically how how you look at it. And 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 also right. when when you look at it too, the religious people. I'm talking about the so-called church people, the so yes. so-called um, evangelicals. Evangelicals, they have never done what they're supposed to do. They see people right. suffering, they see all those things, but they don't they don't talk about it. They don't have any kind of social justice with them. Right. As long as as long as they have their planes. People are worshiping them, kissing their behind. It is okay with them, and they come back and tell you that 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 you talk to God. I, I don't know what kind of God you talk to, and people believe that ignorance. Okay, so PDP and APC for you, there's no future for Nigeria with those ones. I'm not saying there's no future if you get the right people, but okay. Have we? No, I'm talking of where we are now. The people that are manifesting for those parties right now. Wow. To me, my candidate was Kingsley Mogalo. Right. He's so different from the rest of them. What did you see in him? And where is he now? Is he joined any party? Is he No, he has no he's he's still doing some some stuff in the in the in the in the background. You can see him he, right. he lectures, he does a lot of of things. And he's the ultimate Nigerian. He's not. He's not tribalistic. Right. I did not even. I did not even realize that his um, godmother. I mean, he, he knew um, Mrs. Kuti and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, 
and uh, but but when you but when you do look at it, look at um look at um Atiku. Atiku basically has a company that is that is a carbon copy of the MPA. <laughs> yes. What 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 is the difference between MPA and what he does? I don't see any difference. I I have a PC where you have someone collecting the taxes. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if this is true. We don't know the contract. <laughs> we don't know how much how much we send back to the government. I mean, there's some, there's some basic things that people are, are entitled to know. Basic things. Yeah. But they don't but they don't know that. As I told you, we don't know how much those politicians make. We have no idea. How can you run a country and you don't know what they make? But you're so passionate about this. So if you if you if the diasporans are allowed to vote now, who would you vote for, or would you vote at all? Well, I, I learned something about about voting since I right. became, since I became a citizen in this country, I have never yes. missed an election. Fantastic! The first time that I that I've ever voted in my life was in the U.S. Obama. That's way way before Obama, because I mean I've, <laughs> I've been here for over forty years now. I'm trying to remember, but I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure. But I, but I do remember that I would have voted for the first time in my life in Nigeria when Shagari was was running. But at that time, right, I was in I was in London, so I could not vote. But also, they should allow those of us who are in the diaspora to have the ability to vote. To vote. Okay. So if you if you were allowed to vote, who would you vote for? If I'm allowed to vote. Hmm. I'm gonna put it I'm gonna put this on two on two tiers. Okay. Okay. The first one is gonna be uh Atiku, Tinumbu, and Obi. Okay. Then on the second one is gonna be all of them. So for okay. the, so for the for the first so-called top three, yeah. I will vote for Obi. Grudgingly. 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 Why would you vote for him? Why? Because he has he he has never really been in power. Well, he was a governor. Well, he was a governor. That's okay, but he's not as bad as the rest of them. That's what they say. Okay, the lesser of the evils. Yes, the lesser of the evils. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, because I, I still had to run away from from the U.S. and Tinumbu. That's that's the tax man. <laughs> and if I'm supposed to vote for. All of them combined. Yeah. The person that I would kind of align with would be Shuware. Okay. Because he has some basic things. Like what? I mean, he has some ideas. I follow his uh, newspaper, uh, Sahara Report, yeah. and all that stuff. So but they're not very good on truth, well, though, are they? they? They might embellish some. They embellish is the word, yes. That's the charitable way of saying it. They might embellish some, but at least he... He asks some good questions. Okay. But, I, but I'm going to come back. My man is seeking Zimbogalu. Okay. If if by some fluke he got in, so it would be him. Yes. Okay. And I come to Nigeria right away and help him. <laughs> okay. Yes. And then you will try and make a difference. Exactly. Your story is so fascinating and you're incredibly modest. I didn't give your backstory because I know you're very low profile, but I know <laughs> you've got so much to give in terms of advice um, and you've achieved so much in your in, in St. Louis, in Missouri, you've got so many awards. W- what is left on your bucket list, Damo? On my bucket list, 
what I would, mm-hmm. what I would love to do, I would like to have a foundation. Right. In the UK or in the US or in Nigeria, which one? Well, in US and Nigeria. In a way, I think, I think most of us who are in the US, we kind of, we have a quasi foundation because we always send money home and helping people anyway. Yeah, so Western Union has made a fortune through Nigerians. <laughs> so, yeah, I would like to have that because, you know, no matter how long I stay here, when it comes down to it, I'm always a Nigerian force. Always. What sort of foundation would that be? Well, it might be mostly business foundation. You see, actually, when I was growing up, my goal was to build a library in my primary school. That was my goal. What was your primary school? Because I remember you were so proud of it. It's called Ijero Baptist Primary School. Not about two houses away from my house. And you haven't done it yet, but you're planning to do it. Well, but it's kind of different now because all you need now, you don't really need a library of books. All you need is internet. The, the internet. The internet has changed that. Yeah, but there's still space, there's still room for the children to actually hold books in their hands, especially a lot of African literature coming. So who do you admire most? Oh, that's really easy. That's my dad. That's really, oh, that's really easy. He's passed. No, yeah. yeah, that's my that's my dad. Because um he indirectly taught me the value of honesty, the importance of education the highest value of information and the power of empathy. He was an incredible man. I still, I still, I still miss him. There's no day that goes by that I don't think about him. And he did something that was incredible when I tell my friends, whenever we are on vacation from St. Gregory's Bunny House, he will give me money to go and listen to fella on Sundays. Sunday jump. A man ahead of his time. <laughs> I, I think he must have liked Fela's message, although he didn't tell me. But what I know is that he never said anything negative about Fela. Even the drugs. Well, no, he never said anything. <laughs> no, because he knew I wasn't going to do drugs. Okay. Okay, Sunday morning, church or chill? Well, I, I always say this. My church is in my heart. Okay. So I go to church. So you, you, you chill, sure. Yeah. One word. You don't, you're chilling. Yeah, I chill. I chill. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Are you happy in the US? Would you come back to Nigeria? Would you go somewhere else? Where would you live? Actually, I, um, during my youth call, I travel extensively in the northern part of Nigeria. I would have, right. I would have loved to live in Joss because the weather, oh. the weather is so good. And and I saw a lot of white people there. So when I came to the US, I realized why they don't want to leave Joss. Leave Joss because I ha- I have a friend who is a successful um, doctor in in England. He's on Harley Street. He said that mm-hmm. the white man is always chasing the sun. Yes, yeah, so the US <laughs> is such a beautiful place. They have there are so, right. there are so many places you can go to. I just went Okay, so where in the US? Would you stay in, in St. Louis or would you go somewhere else? Well California. I went to a place called Vancouver, Washington, which is not, okay. it's not far from Portland. I really enjoyed the place. But um I, I don't I don't think I think if I retire, I would like to go around the US because it's 
Okay. Yeah, so many things. But just stay in the US. Yeah, yeah. I see, yeah, but you know, as I said, there's no place like home. Okay. Well, we hope you will come back to Nigeria. It will be better. Um, so what are you reading at the moment? What are you reading? What I'm reading at the moment is a book called by Jonathan Kahn. It's called Race on the Brain. What implicit bias gets wrong about the struggle for racial justice? Some people might not know the meaning of implicit bias. Implicit bias is a form of bias that occurs automatically and unintentionally that nevertheless affects judgments, decisions, and behaviors. Research has shown that implicit bias can pose a barrier to recruiting and retaining a diverse scientific workforce. Because uh, at that time, when I was looking for a job, I did not know about implicit bias. Because they see you and they say, oh, this guy, we don't want him here. And it's, and it's, not, and it's not even your fault because you'll be thinking that, is it my fault? What did I do wrong? So that's what I'm reading now. What are you listening to on Spotify at the moment? What's on your playlist? What music? Fela is always on my playlist. Yes. Which one? You know, he has such a huge repertoire. Oh, man. What's your favorite one? It depends on it depends on my mood. I know that my okay. I, I know that I like and what I not get enemy. What uh you know get enemy? Yeah, is that the one. Yeah, that one. Okay. And I and also uh, and most of most of my American friends they like that one, and they and they like Lady and Shakara too. Okay. Yeah. But what about the current Nigerian music? Do you hear any current Nigerian music at all? Yeah, I think um, I like. I like Ye by uh, Bonaboy because Cal- Bonaboy. Okay. I, Have you heard of Ashake? I, I'm maybe I, I'm not sure Ashake. No, no, no. If you have, if you've heard him, you won't forget. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly, I have, I'm hardly hip, but suddenly everybody's playing him. So you just Google it, and apparently it's jolly good. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a tip. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I like David. I mean, he's, I mean, but, but to me. Fela is, is 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 the ultimate for me. He's still, yeah, number one. He's 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 a classic. Yeah. So, what about movies or or television or? I'm I'm boring. I I like I like to I like to do documentaries a lot. And uh, yeah, that's we, good. We have a station here called called a PBS Public Broadcast. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's the only thing. Frankly, I think that's the only thing worth watching in the US. No. 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 There there's some more. They have a program called Frontline. Okay. Frontline is one of the best programs you can ever. ever okay. What do they show? These um documentaries. They do so many things. So many things. So many things. Well, okay. It's a, it's excellent. Frontline is the best. So Frontline by PBS. Okay, I'll definitely take a look. Yeah, Frontline is and um excellent. It's excellent. Okay, Damon, this is an interesting part. Can you describe yourself in three words? Well, hmm. I'm 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 very blunt. Empathetic and, and and honest. Okay, so blunt, empathetic, and honest. Yes. And you don't think blunt and empathetic are mutually exclusive? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either. But 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 also, I I tell people that I could tell my dad anything, and if I could tell my dad anything, I could talk to anybody. Okay. 
So this is the bit that I, you, you can like it or loathe it. Some people love it. Some people loathe it. And we, we actually got a, an email from a, an amazing listener who said, you know, he gave us a joke and I'll probably tell you after you've told us. So you, this is where you tell us a joke. Actually, this, this happened in real life to me. Okay. I had a friend who was a PhD candidate. Mm-hmm. And he lived in this building. He's kind of mixed dwelling building where you have old people and young people. Yeah. So, so right next door to him is this old lady. And, um, the, he told me that the, the guy's name is Igwe. Igwe means head okay. or maybe a chieftaincy title. So this, this, yeah. old, this old lady, she can never pronounce Igwe. So mm-hmm. he told the lady, just call me heaven. So one day I was in his apartment. I was, uh, I was just kind of dozing, watching TV, then dozed off. Then I heard, heard a knock on the door. So I was thinking that maybe it's one of those other Nigerian people or friends of office or mine, whatever. So the lady came and she said, where is heaven? And I said, <laughs> where is heaven? After the woman was getting senile or something like that, I said, I don't know where heaven is. I've never, I've never been there. <laughs> so when the guy came back and I told him what happened, that Mrs., I forgot her last name now, came knock on the door, and said, where is heaven? The guy cracked off. I said, I didn't know what heaven <laughs> I told her because she cannot, she cannot pronounce Igwe. So I told her to call me heaven. I think that was good. That happened for real. Yeah. There's a young chap who sent us a joke, but I, I think I'll save it for our next, our next podcast. Okay. It was really good. His name um, yeah, his name was Clinton. So Clinton, if you're listening, I'm saving you a joke because it's so good for the next... Um... I can't wait for the next podcast. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. You've been such an amazing... You've been an amazing supporter, an amazing guest. And really, um, I think you will, from this podcast, I think you'll be a source of inspiration for those who who are you know, for any reason, relocating abroad and just wondering, how do I crack through the system in the US? Because every place has a different nuance. And there are so many things that, you know, they don't teach you in business school or in finance school, as you found out. How do people get hold of you? I'm on LinkedIn, under Adia Moshodipo. Uh, LinkedIn, Adia Moshodipo. Listeners, before you go off, can you please uh, give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe. Tell a friend and write us, mail at Banana Island Living. We're on Instagram at Banana Island Living, on Twitter at Banana underscore Living. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Bye. Bye.